Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, on Riftwake as Morris. Today's topic is Combat Part 1. And before we actually fully dive into combat in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, I want to actually put a disclaimer here at the front, because this is important. Combat is by far the most common way that people get experience in Dungeons & Dragons. But it's not supposed to be. It is not the only way to get get experience in Dungeons & Dragons. Uh... It is actually supposed to only be a third, but that rarely happens. Uh, We will absolutely devote at least a full episode in the future specifically to how to XP good. Uh, Also, this is part of our D&D 101 series, and because of that, there are some things that we are purposefully leaving out of this episode in order to cover in depth in their own episodes later. Stuff like cover, grappling, dying, that kind of stuff. Uh, That being said, let's dive in to combat. So the goal of combat in, well, all games really, is to knock out or kill the enemy before they are able to do the same to you. And this is represented, mechanically speaking, by all characters having hit points, or HP, a number that, when reduced to zero, represents that the character is removed from combat, whether that is by knockout or death, uh, something that we'll cover a little later. Another very important thing is your character, well, all characters, armor class, or AC, which is how hard is it to directly hit your character, whether that's with a weapon or with a targeted spell, it all goes against your character's AC. However, even if a character has some monstrously high AC, that does no good if an enemy just launches a fireball at them. And that leads us to saving throws. And that is where you, as usual, roll the almighty d20, but instead of rolling to see if you hit, you're rolling to see whether you dodge or resist whatever effect is launched against you. Uh, Advantage and disadvantage. And what those refer to is that when there is some form of benefit to your character's ability to hit an opponent, you get to roll the d20 twice and use whichever number is higher. It is a huge, huge benefit to a character to have advantage. On the other hand, disadvantage is when there's something going against you. And in that situation, you're rolling two d20s and are forced to use the lower result. Again, real bad when you're stuck with that. So, in regards to the grid when used in combat, each square represents five feet of space. That means that your character can move up, down, left, right, diagonally, and doesn't matter as long as they move one square in any direction, that counts as five feet of movement. Mm-hmm. And a character is only able to be, or sorry, only one character is only able to be in one square. You can't have a bunch of people all squeezed together in one area without 
causing or granting disadvantage. Uh, and this is not because all characters in D&D are five feet wide. It is considered to be the area that one character controls. So if you've got, you know, a two to three foot long arm and you're holding a two to three foot weapon, well, then that means for five feet around you, you control that area. So that is why any uh, small or medium-sized character is said to control a five-foot square. Uh, using a grid in combat is the standard because it gives a specific layout of here's where you are, here's where your enemies are, and here's how far away all of you are from each other. It is very easy to run combat on a grid because it spells out the math for you. And generally speaking, any time that you have something to reduce the amount of math that you need to do, it is a good thing for a dungeon master. However, there are actually alternatives that some people choose to use, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, you have the option of just throwing characters on a map and just kind of hand-waving the distances. Like, yeah, that seems about right. That seems like that's within range of... A longbow, or that seems reasonable that you guys are surrounding that enemy. And to not use a grid, you're able to just kind of hand wave away the math and just not worry about it. So depending on your style of game, that could be beneficial for some people. Or you could take it to another level and not have a map at all. This is also called um, theater of the mind. Um, this is basically where you remove anything to do with spatial like any spatial representation of characters moving about, and you do it all as it says in the title right there, in your mind. It's quite useful if you want things to be a lot more narrative and have it be more cinematic than the kind of slow pacing of typical combat. Exactly. Now, I mentioned a minute ago that a character controls the five-foot square around them. Another related fact to that is that in combat, all melee weapons and, well, all weapons in general really have a certain reach. So how far away from you are you able to inflict damage on your opponent? Generally speaking, most player characters have a reach of five feet, which means that they take a step forward in the five-foot area they control and are able to reach up to five feet away to the area next to them, which translates to you can hit the guys who are next to you, which makes sense. However, a lot of larger characters or certain pole arms that have a longer shaft grant a character an ability called reach, which is they can attack someone who's up to 10 feet away. So now that I've talked a bit about the basics of the basics, I'm actually going to take a tangent here to go on a little bit of a rant about what I consider to be the most important fact of combat in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. And that is action economy, action economy, action economy. And what that means, the side that has the most attacks has serious advantages in a combat situation. It doesn't matter if you've got a group of, let's say, five fifth-level characters that are really strong, they get perhaps two attacks per turn, which would mean that as a group, they have ten attacks or so per round. However, 
even if level five characters, which are quite powerful, if they're up against 20 goblins, the weakest of the weak schmucks, 20 attacks versus the group's potential 10, makes that a very dangerous encounter, even if by the experience calculators that exist, that's not necessarily a significantly dangerous encounter. The side with more attacks is still chipping away at the health of all the characters. And if you have eight characters, or eight goblins rather, surrounding a single player character, and let's say they roll well on initiative, so eight goblins surround the healer and take them down in the first round of combat. That party's in trouble. So it is incredibly important, both as a dungeon master building encounters and as a player when thinking about how are my odds in this situation, to keep in mind how many people are on each side. So as another example, let's say that there's an encounter where there's five opponents that all have a huge area of effect, attack ability. Well, that would mean that five people able to attack all, all of a party at the same time, well, that's potentially 25 attacks for all intents and purposes. This is actually a situation that happened very recently to us during th during the live recorded episode of Theriacon. Now you can listen to this on the main feed and you can absolutely hear that I panicked and immediately tried to de-escalate that combat situation because the action economy was against us. So that being said, let's go back into the nitty gritty. Initiative is something you roll at the start of combat to determine your turn in the combat. The higher you roll, the earlier you get to use your turn. In the case where a player rolls the same as an, op an opponent, the player gets to go first. Actually, by the rules, that's not true. <laughs> wait, wait, does it? Nope. Wait. Oh, no, no, no. It's dexterity. Dexterity. Nope. In the case. Wait. That's a half rule. <laughs> Oh, yeah, according to the actual written rules, in the event of two monsters having the same initiative, the dungeon master decides. In the event of two players having the same initiatives, the players can decide amongst themselves. In the event of a player and a monster having the same initiative, it is technically up to the dungeon master to just make a decision. However, a lot of the time, people will just make a house rule for that of... Whoever has a higher dexterity will go first, or you'll just roll a flat d20, and whoever rolls higher on that gets to go before the other. No, no, to, to be honest, uh, like out of speaking, I legitimately did not know that. Uh. <laughs> well, that's why I'm here. On your turn, there's a finite amount of what you are able to do. You can't just make 10 attacks and sprint across a city in one turn. An entire round of combat in Dungeons & Dragons is considered to be 6 seconds. So in that time, all characters have very spelled out 
information on how much they're able to accomplish within that time frame. So most characters are able to make a single action. You're able to move up to the speed on your character sheet. And you might, depending on your class or spell abilities, have a bonus action, which is a smaller action, basically, that is a thing that you are able to do. So for the most part, your action in most combat situations will be to attack. So this is where you will roll the d20, add whatever relevant modifiers your character has, and whatever that number is, if it is equal to or higher than the AC of whatever you're trying to hit, then you hit them. And then you would roll your damage dice, add whatever modifiers you have to that one, and see how much damage you do to them. And once you do reduce them to zero hit points, they are out of combat. Uh, also, when you take your movement, your movement is not actually considered an action itself. It is just a thing that you're able to do. You can move when it's your turn. You don't have to take your full movement at once. You are perfectly able to move a fraction of your movement, make your attack, and if you defeat your enemy, move up to the rest of your speed, and that's fine. As you get higher level, you're able to take more attacks with a single attack action. And if you are at just as successful as that earlier example, you could, if you've got a, let's say, human fighter of 11th level where they have three attacks per turn, it is perfectly fine to move 10 feet, attack, kill them, move 10 feet. Second attack, kill them. Move 10 feet, attack the third time. Okay, that's your turn. Now, uh, certain classes do have bonus actions that are advantageous. A lot of spellcasters might have a bonus action ability to heal while still being able to attack as their regular action. Or you've got classes like rogues who are able to increase their movement speed as a bonus action to move double their normal speed for the turn. Or they can try to run away without getting stabbed in the back by the person they are in combat with. So keeping an idea of your action economy, wink wink, is a very important factor of combat to make sure that you are making the most of the things that you are able to do on your turn. On top of that, there are reactions. Reactions are actions that you can do in reaction to someone perhaps making an attack against you. For example, a bandit runs up to you and attacks you. You can make, for example, if you if you were tiefling, you could use Hellish Rebuke in reaction to the attack to deal a certain amount of damage back at them. There are certainly other actions that you can take as a reaction. The most common of which is called the opportunity attack. And this is a very important thing. 
So an opportunity attack is basically where someone walks past you or tries to run away from you, and you try to smack them in the back as they try to get away. Now, there are some spells and abilities that try, that specifically say you are able to move without an opportunity attack. But for the most part, if someone walks past you, you're able to use your reaction to try to smack them in the back as revenge for trying to go past your guard. Uh, one important thing that I should also note about reactions is that they are something that you do during someone else's turn. So what is also nice about it is that you get a reaction every round of combat, and it resets at the start of your turn. So in the right situation, if you place your character well, you can set yourself up to protect your allies by being the wall in front of them. So well-placed opportunity attacks are very, very good things. There is absolutely more to cover in combat, so we will continue talking about combat on Thursday's episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you will be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter. Find us on social media at Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast. Thanks. Have a good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.